0: Mr. Brown uh, peered over the fence at uh, his neighbor's yard and noticed that his neighbor's little boy, Jimmy, was just getting through uh, covering up and filling in a hole. And So curious as to what the little youngster was up to, Mr. Brown asked him, he said, Jimmy, what are you doing? And with tears streaming down his face, little Jimmy replied, my goldfish died and I just buried him. And Mr. Brown said, well, that's an awfully large hole for just a goldfish. And Jimmy replied, Yeah, but he was in your cat. I told you, I'm not a huge fan of cats, but hopefully you can get a little bit of laugh out of that today. Uh, It is good to laugh, is it not? It's good to laugh. It's good to smile. Uh, As someone once said, laughter is the best Medicine. I don't know if it's the best, but it certainly is a good medicine. How many of you, I'm sure that I'm going to cut off a certain age group, but how many of you know the name Art Linkletter? Some, yeah, okay, a decent amount. Uh, He was a uh, radio host and comedian, uh, ended up living to be almost 98 years old. And in his older years, here's what he said I love this quote. He said, Always keep a sense of humor. And that doesn't mean you just have to tell jokes. If you can't think of anything else when you're my age, Take off your clothes and walk in front of a mirror. I guarantee you'll get a laugh. But the Christian life is more than just getting in a good laugh or finding a little happiness every every now and then when our circumstances allow it. God wants us to experience something deeper and more substantive. And so for the past few weeks, we've been in the midst of a series called joyful in which we've been walking through the, uh, the book of Philippians and, and learning and hopefully gleaning what the Apostle Paul has to tell us about the subject of joy because I believe that it is of utmost importance for us to disciple people not only to know Jesus and to follow Jesus but to disciple people into realizing that following him is a life of joy. It's not meant to just be mundane and and grind. And I know sometimes it is that way to do the right things and to live the Christian life. But it's not meant to be that in its totality. It is meant to be a life of joy. And I believe that Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. Because I believe second only to love, joy should have the biggest impact on our witness. I read an article not too long ago that was written by a preacher, and he was talking about his experiences in visiting some of the older people in the church where he uh, pastored that had trouble getting out, and so he was going to visit, and and that included one particular couple, an elderly couple in their eighties. And this elderly couple had no children; they had no family. Uh, they were well below the poverty line financially, and it was a miracle. The uh, preacher talked about that the little house they lived in was still standing; it should have been condemned. And besides that, the wife had uh, kidneys that didn't function, and so three times a week she would have to go and sit in a chair and have her blood replaced, which left her arms constantly covered in deep black and blue bruises. And so there they were in that pitiful house, barely surviving on a meager Social Security check, in poor health. But as the preacher wrote in the article, he said, that's not what I remember. I don't even remember that they didn't whine or complain about it. What I remember is is I've never known anyone in my life who enjoyed life like she did. She laughed more authentically and easily than anyone I've ever known. She wasn't just surviving a tough life with a stiff upper lip. She was absolutely enjoying every single day she was alive. And then the preacher wrote, When I would leave their home, I would always think, what's her secret? What does she know that the rest of us don't know? And I think about that elderly couple, and in particular that elderly woman, as I think about Paul and him writing this book. Because I can imagine the same question, asking the same question if you were to go visit Paul in the prison that he was at and he was staying in. How does he do this? How does he sustain such a level of joy in light of everything that he's going through? We're going to Hopefully, find out as we close out our series today by looking at our last text in the book of Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it and I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So a little bit of background. Understand that in that day, if you were put in a prison in Rome, in particular where Paul was, uh, they did not pay for your upkeep. And so if you wanted better clothes, better blanket, better food, better Uh, medical supplies or any medical supplies, something to read. Somebody that cared about you had to pay for it and then get it to you and provide you with it. And so when the church in Philippi heard that Paul was in prison, they made an effort to get him some things that he needed and they picked one of their best young men to take it to him, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, and they sent him on this long trip to Paul to express their concern and to show their concern to give him some things that he needed while he was there. And we have the book of Philippians in part because Paul was writing back this thank you note and expressing to the Philippian church how thankful he was. For, for what they had done, and also dealing with some things going on in the church that Epaphroditus had told him about. And so Paul is very grateful for their kindness, and he tells them that in the passage we just read. But then he does something very interesting. He makes it clear to them that while he greatly appreciates their gift, that he was not pacing in his cell every day back and forth, here and there, wondering if anybody cares about him, wondering if anybody is going to send him some things. And he makes it clear that although their level of generosity is greatly appreciated, it did not affect his level of joy. Granted, their, their money and their supplies would, would improve and, and, and lead to more comfort for him, increase his comfort, but it did not increase his capacity to cope with his circumstances, Because Paul had learned a secret. Look again at verses 11 and 12 from another translation. This is the New Century version, I believe. But he says, I'm not telling you this because I need anything. I've learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I'm poor and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time and everything that happens. Paul had learned a kind of joy that wasn't contingent on his circumstances. And it's a lesson that all of us need to learn, and yet only a few do. That's the reality. Because here's, and this is the first point, contentment is not a destination, okay? Contentment and being content is not a destination that we reach. It is a determination, Each and every day, it is a determination and an attitude that you have to be content. In other words, contentment is not a place that you arrive at when everything works out right and everything gets in line and your circumstances finally work out the way you want and then you get content. It's not a destination. It's not a matter of chance. It is a matter of choice. I I remember a, a conversation that I had with someone who was going through a, a really difficult decision. Uh, he was getting older and actually had a, a, a couple of falls. And so he had to make the, the hard but difficult decision uh, to sell his house that he'd lived in for much of his life and to move into a retirement community where he could be watched a little bit closer and be surrounded by people that could help him when uh, he, he needed things. And and, and as we were talking, I said, I, you know, I, I, this is the right decision. I know you know it's the right decision. Um, and I know it's hard, but, but it is the right decision. And I think you'll like it. And, and he looked at me and he said something that, that I think is, is so wise and yet so hard for, for us oftentimes to say. He said, I am determined to like it. I am determined to like it. And I think there is such wisdom in that statement. And he Probably didn't like it in the moment, right? But I am determined to like it. And that's a hard lesson to learn. It's hard to gain that kind of wisdom in a culture, especially, that is created and dedicated to creating discontent. You understand, of course, our entire economy is built on the premise that we absolutely need what we don't currently have, or you can never expect to be happy, right? You, you need what you don't have, and if you don't have it, then you need to figure out a way to get it, or you will never be happy. And so hundreds of times a day, we hear the message is that unless you get better clothes, or unless you get a better house, or unless you get a better car, or unless you get a better phone, or unless you get a better TV, or unless you get better appliances, or unless you get a better figure, or unless you get better stuff, How could you possibly be as happy as you could be? And I wonder if any of us have fallen victim to the propaganda of a perpetually dissatisfied culture, and it has affected your joy. Now, Paul knew plenty, and he knew want. Mostly he knew plenty of want. But he did not allow what he did not have to keep him from enjoying what he did have. And what he did have was a contentment in his spirit that kept his joy tank full. What about you? What are you letting keep you from what God wants for you? From what God wants to do to you? From what God wants you to be? From what God wants you to experience in your spirit and in your life? Many of you know that I love sports and I love sports metaphors. So let me tell you about perhaps the greatest athlete in the history of our country. Before there was Bo Jackson, before there was Deion Sanders, before there was any of the great athletes of today, there was a man by the name of Jim Thorpe. Many of you know that name. Jim Thorpe was a Native American, part Native American. His twin brother died when he was nine and he lost both of his parents uh, by the age of 16. He lived most of his life. As an orphan, he experienced a lot of racism, a lot of hatred and hardship. But one thing, though, gave him a future. He was an incredible athlete. He played in both the National Football League and in Major League Baseball, and he was good at both. But the most amazing thing he did was go to, in 1912, to the Olympics and win two gold medals. Now, it's an amazing feat to win gold medals, but it's even more amazing the way in which he did it. He was about to participate in the pentathlon when someone stole his track shoes before the event started. So what Jim Thorpe did was he went to the trash can and he found two shoes. They did not match. One was bigger than the other. One barely fit. One was too big. And so Jim Thorpe had to wear an extra pair of socks just so the other shoe would keep from slipping. And yet he still won goal. It's an amazing story. But he did not let what he did not have keep him from running the race set before him. And I believe it's possible to learn to run the race that God has set before you with joy, not just to endure it, but to enjoy it, regardless of what you have or do not have. But you've got to learn something, and I'll give you two things. The first one is this, you've got to learn to be grateful, gratefulness does not come naturally. In fact, all of the stuff that we've we've talked about in this series does not come naturally. It is not a natural outpouring in our spirits. You have to learn it by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working inside your life. It is no secret that joyful people are thankful people. And the greatest lack in joyless people is not a lack of stuff but it is a lack of a grateful heart. And even though we often don't act like it, somewhere, somehow deep inside, we know that to be true. We know that real happiness can't be sprayed on, it can't be driven, it can't be worn, it can't be remodeled, it can't be deposited. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, verses six through eight, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For those of you who have been the bir- in the birth room when your children were born, I'm assuming the moms were, um, but uh, if you were in the, the most of us, uh, n- not, not my wife, uh, but we won't get into all that, um, but if you were in there, dads, if you were in there, then you knew, know that when your kid came out, They brought nothing with them, except for hopefully a nice pair of lungs that had them crying. You brought nothing in to this world. Neither did you, neither did I. And you will take nothing with you when you go. And so Paul says if we just have something to wear and something to eat, we should be content. Now, here's the reality. 99.9% of the people sitting here now and listening online, watching online, won't be thinking tomorrow, am I going to be naked and starving? We have more food than we can eat. We have more clothes than we can wear. And many of us have been in different parts of the world, maybe on a mission trip, some of you, where you go and you see just how blessed we are and how much abundance we have, even the lesser fortunate of of us have way more than many in the rest of our world have. And we come back from those trips, I know I did, and and, and we think, man, I I have so much and I have so much to be thankful for and I'm going to be more thankful and I'm going to be more content and that's a good thing. But did you know the Bible never says find contentment by comparing yourself to people who have less than you? That's in the end, that's not a real good recipe for contentment. What the Bible says is you need to find your contentment by comparing your situation to what you actually deserve. Which leads me to a second thing we need to learn. Not only do we need to learn to be grateful, but we need to learn to be graceful. Now, what I'm about to say may get uncomfortable. You may not like it, um, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, I'm just warning you of the fact. The truth is our discontent is often fed and fueled by a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because many of us have a contract mentality with God that says God owes me because. Now some of us are overt about it, some of us are a little bit more covert about it, but most of us in our Western culture, have this idea about God, that God owes me, because basically I'm a good person, right? I mean, I I read my Bible, some, some more than others, but I read it. I go to church. I say my prayers. I treat people relatively good. You know, I'm relatively a good person, and so God owes me, and on that contract basis, many of us try to relate to God. And maybe you're thinking, that's that's not me. I mean, that's probably somebody else. We're, we're good at doing that. That's somebody else. That's, that's not really me. But let me give you just two questions to think about. Okay? One, have you ever gotten upset with God for something he withheld or something you had to deal with? God... I, I, I've prayed about this. Why can't I get a better job? Where's my healing? What, you know, why, why did you, you know, let my, my loved one pass? Why am I having to deal with this? Second question, have you ever been jealous about something God gave to someone else? God, why did they get that and I've got to deal with this? Why, why don't they have to deal with what I'm dealing with? This is going to be hard to hear, but we we need to learn this. All we deserve is hell. Merry Christmas, right? All we deserve is hell. Everything else is a gift. Every breath you have taken today, you didn't think about it. You probably didn't thank God for it. But every breath you took was a gift. We were rebels. We were God's enemies. And there is so much more darkness in our hearts than we want to admit. Only one man has ever lived who could say, God owes me. I've done everything. I've I've met every quota. And he came and he took our hell for us. Author and preacher Tim Keller puts it this way. If Jesus did not complain when he received a life infinitely worse than he deserved, how can I complain when I experience a life infinitely better than I deserve? I'm not saying that you're gonna get all you want. You'll never get all you desire. But I am saying that because of God's grace, you have infinitely more than you deserve however much you have. And that's the key to learning contentment is to know the gospel. It's all about grace. And so joyful people learn to be graceful people. They're joyful and they're grateful because they're graceful. And that leads me right into one of the best known and perhaps misused verses in all the Bible. Look again at verse 13 with me. Some of you may have this on your mirror On your car, on your refrigerator. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's our favorite pep talk verse, verse we go to to motivate champions. We can win the game, we can get the prize, we can conquer the challenge, we can climb the mountain, we can do all things through Christ, right? But Paul didn't write that verse looking like a winner. He wrote it broken and poor and in prison. It's not the statement of a strong man. It's the conviction of a man with a strong faith in Christ to provide the grace he needed to handle any situation. That's what Paul believed, that Jesus is going to give me the inner resource to be exactly who I'm supposed to be no matter what I'm going through. Remember when he, he, he had that physical affliction, and we don't know what it was, but it had to be bad because... Paul is, you know, a pretty faith-filled man, and yet he is pleading with God. He says this in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what Jesus wanted Paul to learn. That's what Jesus wants us to learn That you can grow in your capacity to have every part of your life empowered by strength. And that is a gift from God so that you can be who you're supposed to be no matter what you're going through. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let me ask you a question. What's your all things? What's your all things this morning? Is it cancer? Sickness, a medical diagnosis, is it the loss of a loved one? Is it a broken relationship? Is it a, a, a shattered dream? Is it a financial stress or, 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 or pressure? What is your all things? What is it in your life that has been robbing you of your joy? And where do you need some grace? Grace. Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I like how one translation puts it, to find mercy and grace when we need it the most. That's what we must learn, that there is mercy and grace and joy to be found in Jesus Christ. There's a video that if you haven't seen it, I don't have it here. Um, if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to YouTube it. It's on YouTube. Uh, just type in something like, don't do it now, please. Um, but after, I should have given you the link. But um, old church choir girl dancing, okay? Little girl dancing. Um, but the, the video is, is absolutely hilarious. And, and it's this group of, of young children at church singing this song. They're in a little children's choir, and and they're all singing, but most of them are all proper and prim, and they're kind of, you know, standing very still and not really looking like they're having all that great of a time. But there is one child, and she has got the joy, 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 joy down in her heart. And she's not going to let anyone, you know, let the lack of joy in anyone else affect her her joy and expressing her joy. And she's just moving and shaking and dancing along with the beat. And there's this moment where she kind of looks around and she's like, am I supposed to be having this much joy in church? And she's like, forget it. I'm just gonna be who God made me to be and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let loose with my joy. And here's the irony about the, the song or the video. They're singing a song where the lyrics literally are, there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. That's, that's the lyrics of the song. If you know the song, Old Church Choir, uh, it's an awesome song. But the, the lyrics go, there ain't nothing going to steal my joy. The song is literally about worship and joy. And if you watch the video, I think she learned that. But in all seriousness, how do you want to be remembered? Other than stuff, what do you want to leave behind? I, I want to leave behind to my children and those around me the legacy, the witness that I learned the secret to joy. That joy is not a result. It is a relationship. Jo- joy is not something that you get. It is a relationship that you have with someone that you love Joy is not a product of of getting everything to happen just right so I can finally get happy. It is a walk with the Savior himself. To live is Christ, Paul wrote earlier in the book. And we read that and talked about that. And when Christ is everything, you can have joy going through anything. And so I mentioned earlier about the article I read involving the elderly couple. I only talked about half of the article here's the rest of the article and what the preacher talks about he went on to talk about how one day he got the phone call not long after um, what he was talking about that the elderly wife had passed away and so he went to the house to see and visit with the, her husband and the husband asked the preacher to do the service and then the preacher said I, I got a special treat because the uh the old man the husband uh, let him the preacher see his wife's old bible and he said it was worn and and well used and when the preacher opened it up and flipped through the pages he saw note after note after note where she had written in the margins and note after note just said these simple words thank you jesus thank you jesus and the preacher said it dawned on me if you had asked her what's your secret What's your secret? She would have simply said, Christ is enough. And he is.